Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, everyone. We're pumped to be able to share an exclusive trailer with you after the show. From Blue Wire Studios comes Golden Goal, stories of soccer legends. Narrated by fellow Blue Wire host Brandon Kelly, each Monday, two new episodes will take a look into some of soccer's biggest stars and the moments that define their careers. From Holland, Zlatan, Messi, Rapinoe, and many more, each episode will focus in on the historical plays and personalities that make the sport great. So stay tuned after the episode and listen to Golden Goal, stories of soccer legends, wherever you get your podcasts. Blue Lion. It's exciting to win money. Back out to Allen. History title. Bang! Is there anything you don't gamble on? Uh, not really. Gambling God, fickle butt. Oh, yeah. So easily offended. Gambling's not your problem. You're just an idiot. Welcome to the Full Slate Sunday Scaries podcast brought to you by betonline.ag. I'm your co-host, Cody Darwick, joined by my brother out in Chicago, Tyler Darwick. Tyler, our boy Joey uh, brought home another title last yesterday. Yeah, he put on an absolute show. We had him on the podcast uh, a month or two ago now. I'm losing track of time in quarantine. But we had him on the show. The next hot dog eating contest he does, he sets a new world record. So I see a very strong correlation there. I bet on the over, 72.5, that hit. I mean, the first five minutes he was just on fire. Through three minutes, I think he was eating like 11 to 12 hot dogs a minute. He's at 46 halfway through. I was like, is he going to hit 90? 90. You know, the true sign of greatness for him and just any athlete, I guess. One... 
they're talking about is he going to break his own records, and two, they, the discussion is who's going to come in second. It, it was never close with uh, anyone else in there. No, he was like essentially like a twenty to he was like minus twenty one hundred uh, to basically win the thing. Uh, when I checked in the morning, the whole world was on his over seventy two and a half, and of course he he pulled through. The the thing I'll say about Joey, one he was very gracious with us with his time and is is so great. He just loves professional eating. Like he just continues. He hasn't had a real competition since Kobayashi knocked off and it hasn't slowed him down that's what I was most nervous about with taking his over actually I was like nobody else really has a shot so he could potentially just coast but that's goats don't do that well he lost in 2014-15 to Matt Stoney Stoney yeah who's nowhere to be seen this year yeah, he's won since, so I guess that was his motivation, but you're right. I mean, they talked about it. The biggest competitor to him yesterday was himself, like how much he wanted to push himself. He could have he eaten 50 and still won handily, so the fact he keeps pushing himself to break these records, it's incredible, and it was it's sad it wasn't at Coney Island in front of all the fans like it usually is because that's so fun, but it was kind of funny that it was in this like room. There were only, I think, like seven of them, right, competing, yeah. mm-hmm. and the guy, George Shea, who's the announcer is just screaming he's like look at joey like this is incredible and chestnut's right there and there's only like 15 other people in the room like you can obviously hear him it's it's it's, it was still incredible event even though it's not what we're uh used to Uh, yeah george george shea takes no days off he brings it every year um i i also love too they had like a a what joey's been up to since last year i was a little disappointed we didn't make that cut but joey had eaten 13 pounds of pizza in 10 minutes um the the man is is one of a kind. I thought it was a good sign early in the women's competition. Mickey Sudo ate I think forty seven something like that. Uh, dogs and buns, which meant that it was a fast dogs and buns day. So that that kind of <laughs> continued that continued to Joey. Um, but we uh, we were lucky to be joined by Ryan Spader. He's co host of the Walk Off Podcast, another Blue Wire uh, podcast. And for any like diehard baseball fan um, or even casual baseball fan that likes numbers, Ryan's one of the best follows on. Twitter. So we talked to him about his background, how he got uh, kind of his start in the biz, and uh, about this upcoming 2020 short in MLB season. So enjoy the interview, and we'll be back on the other side with a double shot of love uh, recap. Okay, and Tyler and I are very excited to welcome on the Full Slate Podcast, Ryan Spader, co-host of the Walk Off Pod on Blue Wire. Ryan, happy uh, belated 4th of July. How's your weekend going? Going great, and I really appreciate you guys having me on. I, I got to tell you, I didn't, I didn't realize are you guys brothers or yeah, same last name there. <laughs> we're, yeah, we're brothers. We're brothers. All right. Can you tell who's older and wiser? Uh, I, I'm going to assume the one who just said that uh, sarcastic comment there. <laughs> nice. Nice. He, he needs, he needs the validation. <laughs> yeah, thank you. We're off to a great start. Um, cool. Uh, good vibes in this interview. Um, so Ryan, uh, you're you're one of the best baseball follows on Twitter, in my personal opinion. Can you tell us a little bit about your background, how you got started? Because I think on your website, uh, you definitely have a pretty unique background than just kind of your standard uh, baseball personality. Oh, I First of all, I really appreciate that. Uh, you pr- your opinions probably aren't that great if you think I'm one of the best to follow around, but I'll, I'll take the compliment. I think, I think you cut out there, Ryan. I couldn't hear you. I said I appreciate the compliment. However, your opinions probably aren't all that great if you're thinking that I'm I'm that good of a 
person to follow along. But yeah, I, I, I kind of pride myself on having a, a sort of unique background. Um, I, um, I got cut from Penn State's club team, not even their actual team, when I was a sophomore. And I was like, I got to figure out how I'm going to be involved in baseball because I, I can't play anymore. So I started playing slow pitch softball, and that wasn't really enough for me. So I'm, I'm searching for how I can be involved in the game. And um, I had a professor, Daniel Goldstein, who I really enjoyed. I, I studied economics at Penn State, um, and he would use in his um, uh, probability problems, he would use baseball examples. And I was always good at this stuff. And I was like, this is it. You know, this is how I can be a part of baseball. I can be ba- part of baseball by the numbers. And it took me quite a while to figure out exactly how I was going to do that. It was in 2012 when Cliff Lee went 6-9 and nine and Philly fans, I don't know if you guys know any Phillies fans or Philadelphia fans, but they, they tend to lose their mind when a star has a year like that. And when you look at the numbers, Cliff Lee was still pretty good. He was still Cliff Lee um, as usual outside of that win-loss record. And I was calling into radio stations that I grew up listening to. I used to call in with the moniker Dr. Burl because I thought that was funny. It was a big Pat Burl fan. Pat the bat. And um, I, I would call in and uh, – try to tell the numbers, tell how Cliff Lee isn't done. He's not finished. He, he's still Cliff Lee. And as soon as you start talking numbers on radio shows as a caller, they hang up on you. They didn't really care for what I had to offer. Now, the uh, funny thing in all of that is I do a – on the very shows that I would call in, I, I do a weekly segment in season on one of the very shows that I would try to call in, and all I talk about is numbers. And uh, that was kind of how I, I jumped off there. I, um, I I couldn't get those numbers out, so I just decided to make a Twitter account. And I'm like, you know what? I bet you like 500 people are going to be into some of these numbers that I like. And fortunately for me, it's been a, been a lot more. From there, I, um, I, I worked as a senior hedge fund account manager during the day. I didn't really have to rely on baseball for um, income, so I was able to do it my way. Um, uh, I, to this day, I don't know what a senior hedge fund account manager is. Uh, it's just an important sounding job title that they give you. So you don't quit, I think. And I ended up quitting anyway to join the Marine Corps because I'm stupid. <laughs> and, uh, all along, you know, I, I maintained closeness with baseball in some way. I, I wrote for NBC sports. I wrote for the sporting news. Um, I wrote a couple books with a good friend of mine uh, called Incredible Baseball Stats. We had some great help with those from guys like Wade Boggs and Lance McCullers Jr. and Larry Walker and Edgar Martinez. And um, I, I've just been really fortunate to be able to keep baseball part of my life on my own terms. I haven't – I've never really – needed to rely on a check for a book or uh, a story or something like that. It, it's always been something that I've done for fun, and it's because of that, it, it doesn't really feel like a job. Like, you know, here I'm talking with you guys. I love this stuff. I love talking baseball with baseball people. And like I said, I, I count myself among the fortunate because I'm able to do this in a way that it's fun and, you know, maybe make a, a, an extra buck or two here and there. Yeah, senior hedge fund manager. You see that come up on LinkedIn. You know that that guy means uh, business. So I'm not sure what you did exactly, but it sounds legit. You talked about the book you wrote and all these incredible stats that you were you found. What was like the process for writing the book, and how did you accumulate some of these stats? Out, you know, you're not going on ESPN.com and finding these under <laughs> the statistics tab. These are a little more uh, in the weeds. How, what was the process like for that? So. 
the I, I really threw all the Twitter and the tweets that I would do, and it was after I think about three years of doing it, maybe two years, two and a half years, where I was like, you know what, I got a lot of info here. I've worked really hard on this stuff. I've been writing for NBC Sports and Sporting News, and I even did covered the Bills for the Buffalo News. And I was like, you know, I, I don't think I'm a good writer uh, particularly, but I was like, I have enough information here that I think I could put a book together. And um, my roommate at the time, uh, Rob, his name was, uh, had a friend named Kevin who had written a book. And I was like, yo, you got you to gotta hook me up with your boy Kevin. Uh, I want to talk to him about my book idea and see if he can hook me up with his uh, publisher. And every time Rob would talk to Kev, Kev was like, oh, yeah, you know, what's this guy do, Twitter or something? That's, that's kind of cool, Wh- whatever. Uh, he wasn't really into it because he wasn't really a Twitter dude at the time or anything. Now he's kind of way more into it. But um, finally we met. We were playing poker uh, one night, and I met him, and I was talking about my, uh, my book idea and everything, and he, he was kind of into it. So the next night we decided we were going to go out for a burger and a beer, talk it over, and uh, I'm just dropping stats on this guy off the top of my head, and he's just dumbfounded with some of the stuff that I'm sharing with him. And uh, also dumbfounded by the fact that I just know it offhand. Numbers have always stuck with me. Uh, I, I don't know why, for whatever reason. Like numbers to me are, are like colors or faces to other people. They just stay with me. And so I, I'm dropping all these stats, and he's just so into all this stuff. We, we intended on having a burger and a beer. I think we had like nine beers. And by the end of the night, we were like, yeah, let's, let's get, get you a conversation with the publisher. And uh, he was also like, I'm really into this idea. You know, would you be into having some help? And I was like, absolutely. You know, you're a great writer. I don't fancy myself much of a writer. I think uh, with your help, we can do something pretty special. The next day, we had a call with the publisher. Um, they were into it. They wanted a sample chapter. We did a chapter on the Royals, who at the time hadn't won that World Series that I think they ended up winning right after we um, uh, published the book. And um, the thought process was if we can get a publisher into the Royals, then we can get every single baseball fan into this book. And the whole premise for the book was, you know, stats you're not going to find on the back of a baseball card. And um, there are some really fantastic research tools uh, available to the public. You can use things like Baseball Reference, Baseball Reference, their Play Index, which is now on StatHead. Retro Sheet has all the data there. Um, baseball Savant, fan graphs, And you can just pull from these websites and dump this data into – um, Excel sheets or uh, uh, access databases, other kinds of databases, MySQL queries, all kinds of stuff, and um, come up with some of these cool stats that, like I said, you're just not typically going to find on the back of a baseball card. Yeah. One of the one of my favorite things about following you on Twitter, you seem to be a big fan of Barry Bonds stats. Oh, yeah. Um, as, and so Tyler and I, we're, we're big San Francisco Giants fans, huge Bonds guys, as I think any, any Giants fan would be. Um, what, are, what are some of your favorite stats out of Barry Bonds, to just put you on the spot, since I imagine you have a couple <laughs> off the top of your head? What, my favorite all-time Barry Bonds stat, and it's one that I actually got some heat for because I was at a um, karaoke night one night. And uh, I forgot the, the lyrics to the song, and so I just started rattling off Barry Bond stats. And my buddy, taped, <laughs> my buddy taped it, and I thought it was funny, so I put it on Twitter. And then, of course, I was berated by the, um, the Twitter minions because I was mean to the karaoke lady or something, whatever. Uh, but that stat is Barry Bonds once hit 80 home runs over the span of 160 games, and he slugged 921 during that stretch. 
which is just remarkable. You're talking about a home run every other game for the duration of pretty much a season, 160 mm-hmm. games. And I think one thing that um, uh, really stands out with Barry Bonds is not just the power numbers, but the on-base and the OPS, right? So you look at a, a guy like Sammy Sosa, who had one of the greatest stretches in baseball history from May 25th to June 20th, 1998, where he hit 20 home runs. Well, during that 21-game stretch where he hit 20 home runs, he had a 121, or excuse me, 1.421 OPS. Barry Bonds had a 1.422 in all of 2004. So mm-hmm. he was doing better than Sosa did over that remarkable stretch that people t- still look to as one of the greatest stretches in baseball history, and he did it for an entire season. And it's just, I just don't think there's a single player who is more feared than Barry Bonds. One thing that I always like referencing to uh, is uh, that Kanye West, the probably the most ego, <laughs> egotistical person in the world, wrote a song called Barry Bonds. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. that, if that man <laughs> is dedicating a song to you, then you probably did something right. And Barry Bonds is just hands down. Uh, I, the most feared player of all time, I would say, the most feared batsman of all time. But uh, when, I, when I look throughout history... Uh, I usually go with three, and I say Babe Ruth, Ted Williams, and Barry Bonds. And you got to look at the eras in which they played. Uh, you have things like with Babe Ruth, who um, uh, didn't compete against African American ball players, but then he also competed against just seven different teams. So you have a, a greater. Um, uh, you would think by that, just the nature of it, you you have a greater um, density of talent on those teams. Uh, but then you look at the error adjusted numbers, the OPS plus, and, you, and it, it's always going to be those three guys, Barry Bonds, Ted Williams, and Babe Ruth. And that's, that's who I always say when somebody says, who's the greatest ball player of all time? I said, pick one of the three. I don't really care which. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, go ahead, Tyler. I was going to say Kanye West. I could be our uh, president in a few months. Um, <laughs> but I remember seeing your tweet you just mentioned about the Sosa stats during 98 and Bonds uh, in 04 and just being really juiced up to see that. I mean, everyone remembers the season he broke Maguire's record, but the years after that, he got even better at that point. Who's a guy, your stats guy, who's a guy that, you know, doing a deeper dive into the numbers you think is better than maybe the public perception has been over their career? Well, I mean, you bring up Maguire, and that's somebody who I always default to. So Maguire got a bad rep, I think, as I – don't, I don't know if um, you've ever heard the uh, – I think it was Dick Vermeil said the um, uh, on Chris Carter. He said, well, all he does is catch touchdown passes when the Eagles released him. Like, that's a bad thing. And Barry – or Mark Maguire gets kind of the rep of all he did was hit home runs. Well, Sure. I mean, he was a big-time home run hitter, averaged 50.4 home runs per 162 games during his career. Uh, He was actually a more efficient home run hitter than even Barry Bonds. Had Bonds homered as efficiently as McGuire did, McGuire would have – or excuse me, Bonds would have hit 959 home runs. Uh, But McGuire was an on-base machine. He's got an on-base percentage uh, pushing 400, and then – on top of all that, he really didn't strike out very much. You look at those strikeout numbers, I, I believe the most he ever had in a season was 160. And that sounds like it's a lot, you know, one a game. But when you look at look at Aaron Judge and uh, Mike Trout even, these guys are striking out 180, 190, 200 times, and they're considered the best players in the game. McGuire, I, I would die on the hill saying that McGuire – 
deserves not just a plaque in Cooperstown, but he should have a statue outside outside of the damn museum because the man saved baseball. And people always will jump down my throat and they say, well, Sammy Sosa too, you know, he was part of that race. And of course he was. But as I just mentioned, he wasn't part of that race until June of 1998. McGuire was known to be chasing that record in 95, 96, 97, and then of course 98. I would go as far as to say that it was really McGuire and Griffey going at it uh, even before the 98. And then Sosa really made his mark in that um, May, June time frame. And uh, so McGuire is really one of those guys that be, by the numbers, no, he wasn't just somebody who hit home runs. And if he was, like, that's not really a, much of a sin because it's the ultimate it's the ultimate feat in baseball. Yeah, most efficient way to uh, score a run. <laughs> so I think uh, so. It seems like we have your thoughts on the steroid era generally, and their place in Cooperstown. So I won't ask that question. What do you think of the recent thirty for thirty on Sosa McGuire? I think one of my big takeaways that I did not remember that was still surprising to me after going back and looking at the numbers that Sosa actually won the NL MVP that year, that he beat out McGuire. Um, so what what do you think about the doc and, and kind of everything that surrounded the coverage of it? I got to be honest with you, I didn't watch it. No. I, uh, I, I, don't, um, I don't usually um, uh, lend ESPN too much of my time. I, I, I don't care for the amount... Uh, of times that they have um, swiped information from me without giving credit, uh, I don't really like that. They had, and then many times, you know, I have I have a decent following, and people, you know, they like to stick up for the guys who they enjoy content from. And so many times, you know, I've seen a tweet from ESPN Stats Info or Sports Center or something that came right from me, and then I don't even say anything because I, I know enough of the people who follow me will <laughs> rip them a new one. And there's been several occasions where um, ESPN has dead uh, backtracked and been like, uh, we had a, a miscommunication with an intern or something. That's always the thing to blame mm. an intern or whatever. I, I recall one instance in particular during, what was it, the 2016 World Series Mets versus uh, Royals? Uh, 15. 15, okay. Uh, 2015 World Series. And uh, I had discovered that Conforto became the first player, or you can even say person in history, to have an RBI in the Little League World Series, the College World Series, and the Major League World Series. And the way that I had to confirm that information was using uh, newspapers from the mid-80s to see that Jason Veritek, in fact, did not have a RBI during the Little League World Series. And I was able, using box scores, to discover that Veritek went – I'm going off the top of my head here, so if I'm off, uh, forgive me. But Veritek, I believe, went two for 11 with four walks – Three runs scored and no RBI. And because of that, I was able to confirm that Conforto indeed was the first player ever to do so. I sent that out, and then sure enough, Sports Center uh, had it um, soon after. Even though I, when I sent it out, it was about an hour after it happened because it took me so long to find that information. And um, uh, they just got absolutely ripped a new one by. Uh, people following me and then they sent out a correct uh, a correction tweet saying that you know the information came from from me which uh, was it's a little bit of a a victory I guess Um, but it's just you know you think about these huge I mean I only have 55,000 people following me ESPN has millions right 
And the amount of help that that does to a little guy like me, if they use my information, they say, hey, you know, follow this guy. You got, he's got all kinds of information like this. This came from him. It's, you know, it's a huge help for somebody like me. And mm-hmm. um, they just, you know, oftentimes don't uh, seem to want to uh, offer, offer that. I'm always yeah. of the school of thought, you know, if you, can, if you can help somebody out in a little way at no cost to yourself, then you should probably go ahead and uh, pull that trigger. And they oftentimes don't want to do it. Yeah, I uh, so I I totally agree. I imagine, especially after you're coming through box scores of 1980s newspapers, not cool <laughs> to not get credit for that one from the big boys. Uh, but going back to my second uh, question there, Sosa versus McGuire. Oh, sorry. That, that, <laughs> that NL MVP race. What, what were your thoughts on that? Uh, it's funny because if you look at the modern statistics in from 1998, you, you actually have a guy who has a one of the most underrated careers, I would say, in history, um, who very well could have won the MVP uh, himself, and that's John Olerud. John Olerud had a higher uh, war than both McGuire and Sosa that season. His on-base percentage was through the roof. I believe he batted like 363. Um, if memory serves me correctly, he hit safe. I think he played all 162, and he hit safely in like 151 uh, of those games. So he was always getting hits. He was always on base, and um, uh, very well could have been the MVP. Um, I think the fact that um, Sosa won it just goes a little bit into that uh, that whole idea that El Maguire, all he does is hit home runs, uh, which again I, I don't think is the case. He, he's an on-base, he, or he was an on-base machine, and uh, played pretty good first base, too. So I, I think that uh, had a lot to do with Sosa winning it. But um, it's it's funny because I actually don't think 98 was Sosa's best season. I, I, I say that's 2001, and, of course, Bonds won it when he hit 73 home runs that season. But if you look at the numbers, in 2001, Bonds, of course, hit the 73 home runs. Sosa hit 64. Well, in April, Bonds had 11 to Sosa's 7. In May, Bonds had 17 to Sosa's 8. But then you go the rest of the season, Sosa out-homered Barry Bonds 49 to 45. And people don't realize that. Sosa had an RBI game that season. Uh, His war was through the roof. uh, And it was hands down his best season. But he was overshadowed because he had that slower start, hitting only 15 home runs in the first two months. uh, And I say only in quotes because um, I believe it was Barry Bonds and Luis Gonzalez got, uh, gunning it early in the season. And then um, Sosa didn't take off until, uh, as, as he's one to do, until June. And had probably one of the best seasons, uh, best and most overshadowed seasons, I would say, uh, in history. But um, I, if you go back to 98 and you're asking me to pick uh, Bond, or excuse me, Sosa or McGuire, I would definitely go with McGuire for that MVP award. I think he was the better overall player, but I also am not, I'm not going to take this award away from Sosa where I would do the same with like a 1987 Steve Bedrosian Cy Young award, or I think Raleigh Fingers won an MVP one year, which he absolutely shouldn't because BBWAA was obsessed with relief pitchers for some reason. Um, so uh, I wouldn't, necessarily take that award away from Sosa where I would others, but he probably wouldn't have had my vote that year. I think it's an interesting point you make looking at not just the basic statistics people are used to, but war and some more advanced stats. I mean, look at Jacob deGrom. He's won the last two Cy Youngs, and his overall record is 21-17 and 17. from those two years. You know, go back 10, 15 years ago, he's probably not winning it if unless you have 15, 20 wins a season. That's how 
it used to go. Um, so going into more of the advanced stats, so a complaint I feel like a lot of fans have now, maybe more casual fans of baseball, is there's too much, you know, a guy goes up to bat, it's usually a home run or a strikeout. It's either of those two options. What do you think about the style of baseball now, and is that really turning casual fans off? Uh, it's tough to say. I think more so than anything is just the fact that our whole society – uh, has ADD. Everybody wants everything at an instant. They, you know, you want to, people want to tweet, they want to gif. Um, people tweet out articles with, you'll note the most important part about articles nowadays is just a headline because that's what 95% of people are reading. They don't read the article. And uh, I think it's just the ability to have all of this information at your fingertips is contributing to the disinterest for baseball or for any sport, really, sports in general. Uh, the, the fact that it's a little bit slower paced than other sports, um, I, I really don't think the whole three true outcome thing has anything to do with it. And I also don't think that we are going to bring fans, new fans, to baseball because you're putting a ghost runner on second base in the 10th inning or because you – save 1.54 pitches on average per game by not throwing the intentional walk. And those are the actual numbers, 1.54 pitches, roughly 40 seconds per game saved because of the intentional walk not being um, thrown now. And then you're robbing guys like me and guys like you of something that really exciting that we only got to see, you know, once every 10, 15 years where a guy like Miguel Cabrera reaches out on an intentional walk and then hits a walk off. So I don't I don't I don't know if I necessarily answered your question there, but I, I just don't think the um, I I don't think the baseball's losing any fans because it is I don't know I guess roughly thirty five percent of the time you get one of those three true outcomes the um, strikeout home run or uh, or walk. Yeah. So in terms of the the current fandom of baseball, it's obviously pretty topical given everything that's went on the past couple months with the negotiations between the owners and the Players Association and getting baseball back. It seems like we're trending towards the there's an agreement in place for the 60 game season. As someone who loves baseball, what what were your thoughts about the past couple months of of those conversations, um, and what can baseball do to really right itself with the fans? Since I think they're running on uh, low, low, low uh, fan kind of esteem at the moment. Uh, so I think this whole thing—you uh, might have to beat me. I don't know if I can say shit show. You can, uh, You're good. but the whole thing was an utter shit show. It was—it was a mess. I wrote a piece uh, recently that I, again, with the stupid titles being the most important thing, I, I ingest called Millionaires vs. Billionaires. And um, the reason I said that is because the worst person in all of this, in my opinion, and I'm sorry if it was one of you guys, was the guy who's shouting, I don't have any sympathy for millionaires and billionaires fighting over money. Well, because that guy has never been in a position where he has a skill that is so valuable that people will pay millions of dollars for it, or has never been in a position where he's built an empire that is worth billions of dollars. And I kind of saw both sides with the players and the owners. I, I tried to put myself in that perspective, even though I am myself am not a uh, millionaire or a billionaire yet. Yep, <laughs> and, <same>. um, <laughs> and um, I, But I think the biggest issue was that first – you have uh, owners refusing to 
honor a previous agreement. And more so, my issue was the repeated failure of Major League Baseball owners uh, of them to be bullish on their own damn investment. And it happened time and time again. We saw it in 94, 95. You go back to 87 with the collusion against players. Guy like Tim Raines, who should have won the 1987 MVP award, but he missed the first month of the season because owners colluded against him. And the guy who won it, um, Andre Dawson, he only made 400 grand that year because he said, just write a number on a blank check and that's what I'll pay for, whatever you think I'm worth. And he, he, I think he took like a $700,000 a year pay cut and then went on to win the uh, MVP award. It's, it's just nonsense and it happens time and time again where Major League Baseballs cannot I – don't, I don't know why they can't see the future here. Like could you imagine if we had baseball yesterday – Everybody in the country would have been watching baseball, and it was Major League Baseball squandered a golden opportunity to get fans to the game, which is something that they seem it, – it, it seems like has been the goal, but they're not doing it right. You know, I, I see, go back to the stupid rule changes. That's not going to bring fans to the game, uh, and – Another thing that I'll throw, since I'm talking about bringing fans to the game, it seems like to me that it's less so a goal of bringing new fans from the United States to the game, more so making the game a more global uh, game and try to bring fans that way. And you saw that with Major League Baseball touting the KBO, even though that's as far as I'm concerned. I mean, that's like AAA baseball or some say 4A baseball, although that's typically considered more so like the Japanese league. They're a little bit more talented there. But um, I, I think baseball's goal with that is to try to bring new fans to the game globally. And I think their goal, we see them, uh, I think 40, was it 45 or 40 minor league baseball teams uh, got the shaft and they're, they're gone. Well, I think the goal here is to kind of outsource minor league baseball and then have these talented players who would otherwise play on your double-A AA or triple-A team, go play in other leagues. That way, Yeah, it's a really interesting point you mentioned, Ryan, about trying to glow, grow the game globally. And I think the most frustrating part about all the negotiations that happened over the past couple months was it was never related to you know the safety of everything going on with the virus and the pandemic. It was more just the owners and players couldn't come to an agreement on anything. And you made a really good point. If there was baseball yesterday, that would be the main storyline. There's really, you know, we have some golf, some fights, some other random sporting events, but there's really not that much. And baseball had a chance to kind of be in the limelight before the NBA comes back. And now the way it's set up is they're going to come back a few days before the NBA starts. So I don't think they're going to capture any of those other fans they're trying to attract with the NBA right behind it. But going to the 60-game season, What's kind of your thoughts? I know a lot of people are talking about, you know, a lot of underdogs could kind of get hot for 60 games and make it. Do you see it that way, or do you still believe that maybe the, the cream of the crop is still going to rise to the top uh, to make the playoffs and everything? I think largely you're going to see some of the best teams there at the finish. However, I, I do think you're going to see a team like maybe the Rockies or something sneak in that otherwise wouldn't make it over a 162-game span. I also think we're going to see some uh, something like a, somebody's going to steal. I shouldn't say steal, but earn because that's what you do over 60 games, I guess. But, you know, sort of steal away the MVP award from one of the players who we would otherwise expect. I, I think that that's just what happens when you're playing baseball over the span of 60 games. I don't know if you guys saw, but I also did the um, – uh, 
I sort of re, I guess rewrote history as if it was a um, 60 game season in a piece that I did that was entirely just lists looking at uh, baseball history through 60 games at a time, uh, specific looking at the um, batting average. And although people generally, you know, don't, especially those who are in the statistics like me, don't generally um, care much for that as a, a very, very important statistic. It's something that people are obsessed with now for the first time in a long time because it's not all that unlikely that somebody could hit 400 over a 60-game season. I mean, the most recent, though, uh, was 2008. Trevor Jones hit 409 over the first 60 games. But if you look at 60-game spans throughout history and talking any 60-game span, you can get some absolutely um, absolutely ridiculous numbers from some guys. And uh, I think that that's going to be a scenario where we are going to see somebody who maybe wouldn't do what they do, uh, do over 60 games, over 162, and steal away an MVP award from a guy like Mike Trout. I mean, we were talking um, Barry Bonds earlier, and this is probably one of my favorite 60-game stretches in history. Bonds, April 12th to June, June 22nd, 2001, 60 games played, 37 home runs hit. Just an all-out assault on the league, and he batted 357, uh, 529, Ready for this slugging percentage? 1,016 <laughs> over that span. Like, <laughs> I don't think you're going to see anything like that, but I wouldn't at all be surprised to see somebody who gets really hot over a 60-game stretch and steals away an MVP award. Uh, we were talking a little bit before about some of the futures. Now, I'm not going to touch any of the futures for the teams, although the Astros at 34 and a half games is looking looks pretty tempting, in my opinion. But um, I don't think I'm going to touch any of those. But what I might consider doing is putting um, some field bets. You know, take the field for the MVP. Take the field for the Cy Young Award. I think this is going to be a scenario where we are going to see a relief pitcher win the Cy Young Award. Um, And it's probably going to be the first time in history that a reliever actually deserves that award because it's going to be the most – he's going to be the most important member of that, um, that team. He's going to be the guy who goes out there and throws 30 games rather than the starter who throws 10 to 12 starts. What do you think of some of the rule changes, too, uh, that are coming in place with the shortened season? Uh, the DH, uh, extra innings starting with a runner on second base. And do you see teams um, like reducing their rotation to account for the shorter season? Yeah, I, I actually uh, talked about this recently on my show. So the first of all, the DH thing was an inbe- inevitable. Uh, I think we've seen the last pitcher ever hit. I actually shot... Uh, McCullers, who helped me out with the, doing the foreword of my second book, uh, I shot him a text, and I was like, oh, dude, congratulations. You're probably the last pitcher ever to have an RBI in the World Series. And he was like, oh, that's actually pretty sweet. <laughs> you know? But um, I, I, I'm anti-DH. I like baseball. I like the, I like the way it's you know, played in the National League or was played. Uh, having said that, of course, I vouched for Edgar Martinez as a Hall of Famer, and it's because in 1973, Major League Baseball decided, well, the designated hitter is going to be part of of baseball in the American League. So if it's part of baseball, then it should be part of the Hall of Fame. Uh, as far as the rule, the runner on second thing, that absolutely infuriates me. Uh, and and the, the, the even more aggravating, like just as I mentioned, you're saving 1.54 uh, pitches per game um, by not throwing the intentional walk. And that's the actual numbers. That is 100% what the numbers are. Well, there were 2,429 games played last season. Of those, 208 went into extra innings. 
and 117 of those beyond the 10th inning. We're looking at 900 games to be played this season, roughly 15 or so based on the numbers. We'll still go uh, beyond the 10th inning, even with the rule in place. So you're talking by the numbers about saving or ending about 25 games a little bit sooner. Congratulations, Rob Manfred. You've brought new fans to baseball. You ass. <laughs> I love I love the number breakdown and then at the end taking the uh, jab at Manfred. It's just it's a silly rule change. I, I'm not uh, not sure how it's bringing anyone uh, more to the game. You mentioned the Rockies a little while ago uh, in the NL West. Who's a team that you think can take advantage of this shortened season that otherwise would probably get weeded out during a 162 slate? Uh, I think I think this will play well for the Indians. Um, they they got the short stick last year, uh, not making the postseason despite 93 wins, which is a whole other conversation that you guys will have to have me back on, what I think should happen with the postseason. But uh, one team that I would definitely keep an eye on who finished last in their division last year is the um, San Diego Padres. I think that the Padres very well could um, uh, fight for a spot. You look at their – their um, record. I know they were 42 and 40 through 80 last year. Let me see if I can get you their record through yeah. uh, 60. Here you go. They were 31 and 29 through 60. So you're probably looking at you got to be a little bit better than that through um, 60. But potentially you, you give them 32, 28, 33, 27. You're probably fighting for a wild card spot, if not the division. And uh, that's a team I would definitely keep an eye out, especially if they're going to be help, healthy. It's going to play well for Paddock. One thing that um, we sort of touched on, but uh, the the shortening of the rotations, uh, I definitely think you're going to see some weird, weird stuff with um, with rotations this year. I think we're going to see some teams use a four-man rotation and then throw their guys only like four or five innings. I think you're going to see uh, a team like the Rays use maybe just two starters, two true starters, and then do their um, opener stuff with the rest of it. And then I think you're going to see teams, uh, one team that uh, I think that it would potentially work for, teams like the Braves, uh, stack starters, where they have their first guy go five innings or so, and then they bring out their second for four. Or they go four and four and then have a closer for the, for the last end. I think you're going to see some weird, weird stuff this, this year, especially with the pitching. Mm-hmm, definitely. I think uh, it sets up nicely. I was reading a little bit earlier about the Rays, and a lot of people kind of like their implied odds at, at making a deep run with just the way this short kind of stretch, stretch could set up for them. I want to get your thoughts on the Cincinnati Reds. It feels like they're getting a lot of love. 22-1, um, to 1, they added Trevor Bauer, uh, Moustakis, Castellanos. Like, on paper, it makes a lot of sense. They bring back Iglesias, um, one of the best bullpens in baseball. What do you think about the Cincinnati Reds? They're 22-1 to 1 right now to win the World Series, ahead of the Cubs, actually, on Bet Online. I, I actually really like those odds. Uh, Twenty-two to one. I, I I would definitely think that's worth a play. I really do like the Reds. I think Luis Castillo's going to be an absolute monster. I, I think he's somebody else who is going to benefit from a having to pitch in a shorter season. Um, I know he was absolute on fire to start the season last year, and I I think he fell off a little bit. I, I'm just checking the numbers now to make sure I'm not talking out of my ass. Yeah. He so through his first um, 18 starts last year, he had a 2.29 ERA, uh, and then the um, his final 14, his ERA was 4.78. So you're looking at 
probably 10 to 12 starts for your standard starting pitchers, and I think that's a guy who you're really going to see pitch well. I think Trevor Bauer is going to pitch really well because he's balls the wall anyway, 100% all out. Um, so you, you just when you're playing 60 games instead of 162, you're it's just by nature you're going to see those nagging injuries uh, less and less. And um, I, I, I do, I definitely like their chances. 22 to one, that's that's worth a play in my opinion. Yeah, Trevor Bauer's been incredibly active on Twitter during all of this. I think it's good for MLB to have someone like that. Also, I think sometimes he gets a little annoying. There was a recent picture posted of him wearing a Houston Astros shirt and said "Trash Town" on and says Houston cheated. What was your whole thoughts on the Astros uh, scandal, how that was handled by baseball? Um, and it, it feels like we're being cheated a little bit by not having a normal season with all the fans because I think that would have been awesome. But how do you think that plays over uh, as the season gears up? So when it comes to the Astros, my take is that Rob Manfred wanted the Astros to be his scapegoat in all of this. Um, the Astros were not the only team involved in sign stealing. From what I've been told, you got eight to nine other teams, and I've been told this from day one. I, I think the first time I made mention of this was actually before all of the Astros stuff even came out about teams uh, using uh, electronic means to steal signs. And I think what the Astros were supposed to be was your Mark McGuire, your Barry Bonds, your scapegoat in all of this. They were supposed to be the Rawlings baseball uh, for the um, uh, juice ball era, right? Uh, Manfred and Major League Baseball are constantly seeking scapegoats. I mean, go back to 1985 before Manfred was even a thought in uh, in terms of being a commissioner. And you had all the players who were using amphetamines and cocaines and stuff, and they they blamed – they were like, oh, well, the 1985 Pittsburgh drug trials are taking care of all this. We uh, wipe ourselves of any responsibility. I mean, Bud Selig in the Hall of Fame. Why is he in the Hall of Fame? Well, because he, quote, unquote, saved baseball. No, it's the guys who he enabled to take the performance-enhancing drugs in the 90s, in the 80s, uh, that – saved baseball and got him into the Hall of Fame. Uh, it's So when it comes to the Astros, I really think they were meant to be a scapegoat. Um, I think that they were, yes, they, you know, they were banging on trash cans and everything, but I, I would be willing to bet that they were not the um, most efficient at stealing signs. I think what they did was they thought they found a way to circumvent the rules because they weren't using electronic means to deliver the signs. They were using sort of an old school means, something that you would see. Um, you go back to, I think it's 1901, the Phillies were sealing stealing signs, stealing signs and uh, delivering them with Morse code, stealing signs using binoculars. You go, I mean, you can find examples throughout history. In the 50s, they had uh, teams doing this. In the 90s, I think the um, – uh, who was it? Jack McDowell said the White Sox would steal signs and then they would deliver to the batter um, used through the uh, scoreboard. And so I, I think that um, uh, the Astros definitely are guilty, uh, but there are other teams involved in all this. I hope it comes out. And um, I think that anybody who tells me that the most efficient way to deliver a sign to a batter from a real-time camera is by banging on a trash can – uh, anybody who tells me that is a fool. There's definitely better ways to do it. And yeah. if there's better ways to do it, that means there's 
teams that were doing it in those better ways. And I've got this a pretty good authority that other teams were doing it. I've heard it from a number of different players. And the Astros were meant to be a scapegoat. I keep using that word, but they were meant to be a scapegoat in all this. And uh, when other teams started coming out, you know, something came out about the Red Sox and something came out about the Yankees. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, shit, maybe it's not just the trash throws, if you will. And um, there were – there's it, – it's – it's just a mess, and I really hope the whole thing unravels. And Major League Baseball, again, they squander opportunity time and time again. They, Manfred could have sacked up and been like, hey, look, teams are using electronic means to steal signs. We are putting these rules in place to prevent it from happening. If you violate the rules, this is what's going to happen, and uh, this is a league-wide problem, but it's dead. He blamed the Astros. And one anecdotal example that I'll give you here uh, is the fact that – look at the fact that the, no players were suspended in all of this, right? And that is because when you – if you suspend a player without pay, you're taking away their meal ticket. Then all of a sudden, you're going to have a lot more guys who are willing to speak up. The same guys who are sending me texts and stuff saying that, you know, this team did this or this team did this or this player did that. Well, you take away that person's paycheck and their ability to play, they're probably going to be a little bit more inclined to speak up and say what else is going on in the league. But where they stand right now is nobody wants to be a Mike Fires. Nobody wants to be the um, uh, looked at as that rat. And that's – whether you think it's right or wrong, what Fires did, that's the way that he is viewed by his uh, players' association. The players think on various teams. I've spoken to a number of guys, guys on not just the Astros, guys on the Phillies, guys on all kinds of teams. They think the guy's a rat, and they wouldn't want him as a teammate. And that is not no. a good position to be in. No, no. It's, it is it is going to be interesting to see what happens with them, even in this shortened season alone, and as more and more reports kind of come out, if, if we get more information on the Yankees and some of these other teams that are accused, I think that's a good point, though, what you mentioned, that no players were suspended. Um, it's kind of amazing. Um, but real quick, Ryan, before before we go, I want to get your uh, World Series prediction, 2020. Who are you oh, taking man. for the shortened season? Uh, I haven't even I haven't even begun to guess yet, to be honest with you. I, I think it's going to... So... The fact of the matter is uh, when we look at this virus, nobody wants it. It's not a good thing. It's costing people jobs. It's costing people lives. But we look at the act, what the CDC has the death rate at currently is 0.26%, uh, where the regular flu is 0.15. So it's a little bit more, and it's also easier to uh, transmit. So these players are probably – I don't think any of them are going to – you know, any of them who are willing to play at least, I don't think any of them are going to get this in – die from the virus, and I really hope that's not the case. But the fact of the matter is some of these guys will get this thing, and that's going to change the course of the season entirely. So I, I think I would be a fool to stand here and tell you I think this team or that team is going to win the World Series. Uh, if I had to pick one, mm-hmm. I guess I would go with you know one of the usual suspects in the Yankees or the Astros. I think the Dodgers could make a run potentially because it, for some reason they always – after 162 games, but I think you know, weed out the teams like the Orioles and the the um, 
the Marlins and the Pirates and the Tigers and the Royals, uh, and then throw all the remaining teams in a hat and pick one out. And I think you're just you're just as likely to land on the winner as you are trying to make an actual guess. All right, underdogs it is then. Um, but yeah, <laughs> Ryan, uh, thanks for joining us. This has been awesome. Really interesting. Where can our listeners follow uh, follow you on Twitter and then your podcast and your website, everything? Yeah, everything for me is everything I'm associated with is just the Ace of Spader, and my last name's S P A E D E R. That's where I'm at on Twitter, on Instagram, uh, Facebook. My um, my show is with Holden Kushner, who's been in radio for 23 years. It amazes me that he wants to do a show with me, somebody uh, a veteran like himself, you know, consummate pro- professional, and then he wants to talk with some, uh, as you guys have figured out, fast-talking Philly dude who stutters nonstop <laughs> about about baseball and stuff. But, um, yeah, Holden's a great guy, and we do the walk-off that's uh, through Blue Wire. And then um, website, just the same thing, theaceofspader.com. That's, that's where all my content is now. There's no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partners, betonline.ag. Sports are slowly making their way back, and BetOnline is leading the way with the best odds and lines for all UFC, NASCAR, boxing, and soccer matches. And if you need even more, they've simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC simulations all day, every day, live on their website. Looking for something else other than sports? BetOnline has hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and props to check out. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE for a free welcome bonus. That's one word, BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. And thanks again to Ryan for coming on the pod. Really fun interview and just super smart guy. Being able to read a lot of those stats off the top of his head and quickly is really enjoyable for two baseball fans like us. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Um, some of the stuff he's rattling off. Even the thing that most impressed me was the Jason Baratek Little League World Series numbers. Um, I'm just gonna take him for his word and not in fact the three for eleven. I think four walks, a couple runs scored, but no RBIs. Very impressive. Uh, definitely, again, recommend to follow him on Twitter. And uh, he recently had Darren Ravel on the podcast, so definitely worth checking that one out as well. But uh, let's get into double shout out love. Recap, a big episode, and we spoke last week, and props to you, great idea. Let's do a winners and losers of each episode of Double Shot at Love. So let's start with winners. Um, We'll be a little optimistic here, and I guess we'll get into losers, which we haven't done since Grandpa Billy's Bum of the Week, and it's it's been a minute, so this will be nice, getting back to our roots. I'll let you get started first, though. You can uh, choose your winner, who's uh, your winner from this past uh, episode. So my winner is going to be Vinny and Maria. They reconciled their relationship. Um, after Double Shot last time, I'd kind of forgotten the timeline of events. She had kind of gone off on Twitter going after Vinny for, I guess, how him and Elise worked out, which, again, they showed highlights of him picking her at the end, and it's still just so awkward, and it makes no sense that Elise won at the end. Um, I, would, I would love Elle to be on the show this season, too, but I guess she didn't want to do it. Um, but Vinny and Maria made up. Maria apologized for kind of going after him on Twitter, calling him some names. They kind of hashed it out. I, I think there's going to be some more sparks as the season goes. They went grocery shopping as friends. They have the, you know, that awkward chemistry still where they're very jokey with each other. So that that was my winner of the episode. What, what were your thoughts on that? That was, that was going to be my first choice as well. It was good to see them get back to the roots. They had their, like, really awkward jokes about, like, Vinny's nose hair. He wiped a booger on her. That was really special. Um, I think 
I think it was almost like only a matter of time with those two. Like I don't I didn't think they ever got like serious enough in season one or anywhere close to it where they were gonna be uh beyond mend in season two. Um so I'm happy they could squash that beef. Vinny's Vinny's better uh when he's like when there is that plot line. Like I'm not super interested in the current Chippendale's uh story. Um so I think having him and Maria as a budding romance uh, is a better better addition to the show. Um, and yeah, I think Maria. I did notice Vinny glanced up when they're at the, when they're having the nice family dinner once Polly returned. Um, uh, when Nikki's airing out Nikki or no, sorry, uh, Marissa's airing out Brandon um, about him hitting on Maria. And I did notice that Vinny glanced up. So I, there's definitely there's still a lot there. We know from the previews they hook up, but um, yeah, I'm happy. I'm happy they got into that one. I, I didn't notice that part at dinner, and kind of like a second quick winner. So hopefully I don't step on your toes with this one as well. Just MTV, just MTV in general. Having that family dinner where they're all around the table, just literally just sure. Air, yeah, airing out the gossip between Marissa and Brandon, Maria and Vinny getting back together. Like, in no other setting does that ever happen where it's, like, that blunt, that uh, straightforward. Polly's like, okay, what I miss? And everyone's yeah, just going, <laughs> going through it. It's incredible. Yeah. And Polly, like, he knows everything that's happened, but it's, it's better if you just air it all out in one spot. Uh, my winner... Uh, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with pool party poppy. He continues to just be uh, kind of one of the lifebloods of the show, the new additions, and his his move to get a girl's phone number at the gym when he has a girlfriend. So it's kind of it's an insane thing to do. But I respect the fact that he's like I have a construction body. Like I don't I don't work out. I do the dad bod thing. So he he made his gym appearance and he got a girl's phone number. Um, which if you're a if you're a hardcore gym goer, I think that's uh, a cardinal sin. But for someone like him, he's just maximizing the opportunity. It seems like next week he gets called out on that. But I'm gonna give him my winner of making the most out of what seemed like a 20 minute gym appearance. Yeah, he he did mention that. You know, he's got that construction body, but he knows he knows how to work with it. But yeah, he has a girlfriend. I see that uh, probably ending. It's you know the same same kind of plot line we've seen throughout the Jersey Shore, and now this show you come into the house with a girlfriend or a boyfriend, probably not coming out with one, or at least the same one, at least the same one I should say. Um, so <laughs> yeah, he's he's funny, and he like you mentioned, and they talk about on the show, it's a sin to pick up you know girl or guy's number in the gym. I feel like whenever I go to the gym I always see workout couples there and stuff like that. So I, I don't really agree with that. I feel like people are always pr- uh prying at the gym like that. I don't know. I don't know about that. I think that's like a certain kind of person that can do that and be the kind of Instagram workout couple. Um, cuz the issue is what happens when it goes wrong. What do you do? You just see the person at the gym all the time? Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I'm just from the gym I I went to by my old apartment. That that, that was very common. Not that I was doing it personally, but pretty I just COVID. I was yeah I was noticing that was pretty common. So I don't know. But who who's your loser of uh, this week? You don't want to talk about gym couples anymore. <laughs> no, I'm good. <laughs> uh, my loser. Uh, so maybe this is a little controversial, but I'm I'm going with as much as great as Maria and Vinny have been. Um, 
Nikki's been a disaster on the show, so I'm going with Nikki and Polly generally because I know they're teasing it out for TV, but the the conversation between them just should have happened already. Um, I'm I'm kind of over the oh next week see what happens between Vinny and Paul or uh, Polly and Nikki and their big uh, tell all like just just have the conversation. We know it's going to happen. They're probably going to hook up again. Uh, there's going to be emotions. Um, out of Nikki and Polly, Polly really hasn't handled it well at all. It seems like all the interactions are so awkward. He's always like, "Hey, Nikki," like it just like awkwardly like calling her out. Just like have a real conversation with her. Um, so I, they're they're on my hot seat. They're my grandpa Billy's bum of the week. They're they're the losers of of this episode. Like you just have to have the conversation. Like I I don't I don't want Nikki crying. And shout out to your girl Maria with the way she handled Nikki. She's like what do you want out of this? And she's like, I don't know. She's like, well, you're here, so you kind of have to figure it out. <laughs> like, you're staying in the suite with him in Las Vegas filming another TV show. Probably should have an idea. Yeah, seeing her cry and just, like, in a ball in the bathroom crying, it just reminded me of how insane she was season one. Like, you kind of forget how, like, every week it was something with her fighting with the girls, freaking out about Polly, like, She's insane. She's an insane person. But they do have to have the conversation. Like you said, Polly's handled it terribly. The only times he's tried talking to her are, like, in front of everyone. He's like, Nikki, you miss me? And it's like, you're just putting her on the spot. It's so uncomfortable. He's Polly D positivity. I know he's trying to be funny, but, like, at this point, you kind of have to, yeah, you kind of have to do something different. And then he tries talking to her in uh, her room at at the the worst possible time. When she's, like, having, like, a breakdown which she has like every episode so this week did remind me of like just how crazy she is um so yeah they, they need to get that resolved because i agree with you it's getting dragged out a bit my loser of the week um this one hurts because this is one of our favorites i'm gonna say i'm gonna say b lashes um you know dustin from the nightclub talked to her and darren about jumping in the pool on their first shift after they were done so wearing the work outfits um, and she talks about how it's her dream to work at a Las Vegas nightclub. How on the first day of work do you jump into the pool while you're still, like, on the clock? Just an absolutely insane move. So she's my loser. They had that discussion with him again. And she and and she just, like, it was like she, she was realizing the mistake she made. And I was like, yeah, you probably should have not jumped in the pool. So she's my loser. Just kind of a questionable move. And, some you know, her actions aren't matching what her words say. Yeah, yeah. So for B lashes, if she's listening, uh, we'd be happy to have this conversation with her and maybe a potential career intervention because um, it, it definitely doesn't make sense to jump in the pool first day on your on your dream job. But um, yeah, those those are all my. I think I think that's all I got, Brandon. And just the I was happy this episode. It seemed like the first one that we started like reintegrating Vinny and Polly with almost like the Jersey Shore cast uh, and the chaos that's going on there. But Brandon and and Marty Mush and uh, Pool Party Poppy (laughs) continue to have legs. Yeah, Brandon and Marissa, I think that drama as far as who was right as far as, you know, after their hookup was Brandon and Marissa. That feels like that got aired out, which I'm happy about. So, I mean, something will happen again with them over the course of this season. But, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm still a fan. I thought this was the best episode of the uh, season so far. Yeah, I didn't appreciate Susie. I feel like who who barked at Susie at dinner? Someone yelled at her. 
I don't, I don't remember during during the fight with uh, Nikki and Brandon, yeah. and that that was a that was a very uncool move by Brandon to be like to Nikki girl Nikki be like you got to work out stuff with your men's because then you're putting Polly on the spot in front of everyone yeah. you know that I, I didn't think that was a cool move while he was he was getting uh, attacked. Yeah, as I think for him as an up and coming DJ, he should know not to throw Polly D under the bus like that, right? Um, so, so uh, but yeah, I think I think that wraps it up uh, for another week of the Sunday Scaries Pod, and uh, everyone enjoy your week. This is Brandon Kelly, the host of Blue Wire's new podcast, Golden Goals. From Lionel Messi to Marta to Pele, our show takes a deep dive into soccer superstars. What a welcome for Megan From Zlatan Ibrahimovic's brash confidence with the play to back it up, to Megan Rapino's heroic outspokenness and World Cup flair. Each episode examines a personality of the world's game. We'll dig into Maradona's Hand of God performance and subsequent downfall. The teenage trio at Dortmund that signaled the next generation of superstars. And that infamous headbutt that slung Zinedine Zidane from glory. Golden Goal. Soccer stars and the moments that made them. Premiering this summer on Blue Wire.